live from the Springfield Civic Auditorium. It's the Cage Fighting 144th episode spectacular. Hello, I'm Troy McClure. <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to wherever you may be listening to this podcast. It is your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well right now. This week we're here to look back at the genesis of the question cast. We're each going to pick some of our favourite questions and some of the favourite questions that we've asked on this one. My question will be second. It is the one I asked about our favourite trilogies. But really, where else should we start than the first question that was asked on this podcast? And that is over to you, Matthew. Yep, I would like to know, guys, what is your film Guilty Pleasure, please? Uh, let's go with you. Uh, why not? Well, it's a, it's a film that stars... Well, I say stars. There's certain people in this film that you think, oh, what could this possibly be? So... In this film, feature Isaac Hayes, Buzz Aldrin, Nikki Lauda, Jennifer Rush, Shari Belafonte, Simon Shepard, and Roger Moore. <laughs> and it is, of course, <laughs> made in 1990, called Fire, Ice, and Dynamite. And just, just the astounded look on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a film that no one's ever heard of. It's Simon Shepard from Peak Practice, the uh, hit 90s uh, ITV drama. He's pr- pretty much the star. Roger Moore is in it quite a bit. It's basically Wacky Races, but live action. <laughs> live action. <laughs> oh, okay. And if you can find a, a widescreen version, great. But every, every time I've had it, it's in 4.3. It's, and it was made in 1990. It's, what was it called again? Fire what? Fire, ice, and dynamite. Okay, right. <laughs> and it's—I can't even remember. I think we, me and MMA Goldie, um, we, 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 I think we found it in the game bargain bucket in game. It was just in there. <laughs> it was the only film in there. And I thought, why on earth is this? This in with? Oh, it's got Roger Moore in. It's got to be good. And again, IMDb, four point oh, eight hundred and ninety nine reviews. <laughs> I mean, that's higher than some modern-day blockbusters. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so by uh, Willy Bogner, whoever that is. Is it, um, is it kind of like that? You remember the film Rat Race? It's ve- a kind of similar similar concept to that, is it? Very similar to Rat Race. Um, yeah, I like that Ra- as well. Rat Race was based on something else as well. Well, there was, mm-hmm. there was the yep. original one there. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is... The billionaire, the billionaire dies, and whoever... When he sets up this thing to whoever wins the race wins his money. That's okay, yeah. that's the the premise of it all, and it's it's probably the film that no one's ever heard of. No one should like it. It's probably not great, but every it's almost like every Christmas I watch it because it's got snow in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a Christmas film. It's not a Thanksgiving film. It's just it's wintry, and you thought oh, it gets you in the mood for Christmas and the incredible levels of high camp in this one incredible levels um but if you can find it give it a ch- give it a check but it's one of them where you won't forget it once you've seen it 
That's guaranteed. <laughs> well, that that one's made it onto my list already. <laughs> Andy, what about yourself, mate? What's your uh, guilty pleasure film was? Well, I was thinking about this because I I don't have any shame when it comes to films. I like <laughs> stuff that's great, stuff that's terrible, and and everything in between. But I was thinking about actors that are associated with shit, for want of a better word. <laughs> I thought, well, you know what? I quite like Statham. I'm a big fan of Jason Statham. He does a lot of very lowbrow. I love the Crank films. <laughs> They're just great fun. I thought, well, you know what? Actually, big fan of The Rock's early stuff, The Scorpion King, which gets shat on constantly. But I enjoyed that. And then also I thought, throwing Vin Diesel... Who's another guy who does terrible things, but I really enjoy Bloodshot. But those three guys, you've got the Fast and Furious. Who's <laughs> oh, right there? Knew this so, was coming. Yeah, that, that's that is my guilty pleasure. That is just apart from the second one, which might be the worst film I've ever seen, and not even in a so bad it's good way. Just terrible, terrible movie. But yeah, the rest of the great fun. Once you get to probably about the fifth one, and it stops just being about racing you know quarter of a mile down the road and they become action films they're brilliant but you do realize once you get to that point and they're doing a heist in brazil in a country they've never ever been to but they've hacked into the system and that they're changing all of the, the the road traffic lights so they can get away but then you remember that two films ago they were selling TV, DVD combos out the back of his truck <laughs> how the hell have we got to this point it is bananas but I, I love Fast and Furious. The other film we wanted to give a, a mention to, it's a film called Sleepaway Camp. don't know if you've ever seen that one. No, no. This was going to be my obscure one. This was going to be my Fire, Ice and Dynamite. Um, so it's set, it's a, an 80s film, horror film, where it's set at this place called Sleepaway Camp. So it's not a very, uh, very original title. But you find out that, uh, sorry, so these kids start dying. They keep getting murdered and you find out that who kills them. And it's the most ridiculous twist I have ever seen to any film. It's up there with the worst of M. Night Shyamalan's twist. <laughs> all you know about the killer all the way through is that it's got um, male chromosomes in the, the blood trace. I don't know how they figured that out. <laughs> they're on a fucking camp. There's no way they're going to have been able to do <laughs> DNA tests to figure this out. But that's all you know about the killer all the way through, and then you find out who the killer is at the end, and it's it's incredible. I thoroughly recommend it. I've not seen any of the sequels, so I can't speak to them, but uh, the first Sleepaway Camp is well worth your 90 minutes. How about yourself, Matt? What, what are you guilty well, of? I want to preface this with, uh, we're in an enlightened time now, and, and, and for all the right reasons, we're questioning things that we may have previously thought were acceptable or um <laughs> that were we're having a deeper think into things so one question that i know is coming later has had a dramatic change and anybody that's heard me on the fan cast will know my favorite film of all time was forrest gump which i'm now <laughs> moving into a guilty pleasure and the reason for that is i think i, I, look, I look back on forrest gump and, and, and when i watch it um it, i still it still entertains me. I still find it like, like quite a sweet tale when I don't look at it uh, too too much of a deep dive. And I, and I think to myself, it's funny. And I look at it as exactly what that. But then when you do a deeper dive into it, there are themes that are massively outdated in it now. Uh, there are questionable elements to it that 
are starting to make me feel a little uncomfortable the more and more I think about it. Um, but it is a guilty pleasure in the fact that I still find entertainment in it and I still think, and me and Andy will hammer this point out a lot, that I really rate Tom Hanks in the film. Um, but it's a guilty pleasure in that I know there are some elements to it that are now outdated and probably wouldn't be as acceptable nowadays, but I, I do get a kick out of it and I do enjoy the film. But uh, we're going to use this podcast as a cleansing for me to grow. So uh, <laughs> that's, why that, that's why that film has been moved into that category uh, on this occasion. I think with, with things like that, though, I think we, we just... I wouldn't say it's a guilty pleasure. It's just you enjoyed the film when you watch. If you watch the film now with the way things are and it was you liked it now, then you got to think, well, OK. But you liked it in a more innocent time. Yeah, so no, I understand. I, I'd true. take it like that. I, uh, that film, I know people who I absolutely despise that film and they can't, can't stand it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking to one of them. Yeah. And, um, how it won that many, who knows, but... It's fine. It's fine, but it's, um, I wouldn't worry too much about its issues. It's just aged quite badly. I think, yeah, I think we as a society, society have moved on for the better in some respects, and it's sort of shown up. It's highlighted the issues around that film, I think. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd say it would be a guilty pleasure, but I sort of get where you're coming from with that one, Matt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, fellas, my question, uh, after last week when we discovered the existence of the Beige Volvo trilogy, I was wondering, what is the greatest trilogy of all time? Matt, would you like to uh, start the ball rolling on that one? Okay. Well, I don't want to steal Stu's thunder here or anything, so I feel he might pick this. So I've gone a little different. And instead of greatest as in um, kind of critically acclaimed, one trilogy that I really enjoy is actually the Lecter trilogy is in Hannibal Lecter Silence of the Lambs Hannibal and Red Dragon Hannibal was a bit of a disappointment on on the really creepy and um tension suspenseful Silence of the Lambs but Red Dragon um was a real return to form the prequel to to, to all of this going on um I just really like Anthony Hopkins is an actor that I really haven't invested enough time into um, I don't. I haven't seen a lot of his work, but in those films, he just creates such an entertaining villain, or you could even describe as an anti-hero because you you enjoy watching him be this sadistic cannibal. Um, and I think the films are just put together really, really nicely. And based on actually a question that we'd, we'd, we've already discovered, turned into a really excellent program as well, um, mm. which um, is a, is worth a lot of people's time. So. For purely entertainment's purpose, um, I'm going with the Lecter trilogy because their um, horror is that de- horror sci-fi. Anything dark and morbid is <laughs> is my wheelhouse. So um, <laughs> that's what I'm going for. Obviously, there are bigger and uh, there are bigger, more or critically acclaimed trilogies, but for something that really ticks all the boxes for me, it's really up there. Yeah, and there's also another uh, Westworld actor in there isn't well, of course that? So, it's, it's a running yeah theme. of course yeah 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 exactly have you ever seen um the original red dragon manhunter no no i no i know i know it, I know it exists but i know i haven't seen it so i can't compare it but i understand i think they're, they're worldly different from what i read yeah um, I, I i prefer manhunter to be fair yeah. um obviously it's not a different actor as well and 
it's a, it is like you said a completely different vibe from a different time yeah. but um if if you can find him it's going to be very obscure to get hold of um if you find it on dvd somewhere then i'll definitely give it a chance yeah i will do because i want to compare the two to be fair so what about yourself Stu? what's your uh, your go-to trilogy well, I'm amazed that Matt didn't um, go for it, really, because obviously Blade is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I was expecting to come from you. No, it wasn't at all. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a few honourable mentions. There's Blade, um, Naked Gun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Austin Powers for the silly ones, but obviously Lord of the Rings, by <laughs> hands yeah, down, like, no, yeah. question, no question <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I know you're playing, playing with the rules now because of the... Uh, the Hobbit being its own thing and the connecting world and whatever, but as a trilogy of films made together, you can't. You, you, I suppose you could if you really wanted to watch just one of them. Um, you'd be a bit mad, but mm-hmm. as to watch them as a whole package, which you have to really do, it's exceptional. You can't really beat it for me. It's just we're not great in context. Before they came out, I wasn't a fantasy dragons kind of person whatsoever. I paid no attention to any of that nonsense. I was always sci-fi and Star Wars and that kind of that way, that way inclined. Um, I never never got into that kind of stuff whatsoever. But we mean um, didn't we to watch that film every every Christmas? And then you'd buy the, the the extended DVD at the start of December, watch that, and then go to the cinema straight after for three years in a row. And it was just it was just incredible. And I. I for the same reason what we talked about earlier about watching films over and over again and keeping them special i haven't watched it for two years because i mm. i know them so well and like when we watch face off and i remembered every line i don't want that to happen with lord of the rings so i'll kind of give myself a break from it mm. uh, intentionally so i'll probably go back to it this year because I, I mean even just thinking about it i'll, I'll miss it though <laughs> 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 it's sitting over there um but yeah lord of the rings hands down no question whatsoever for me so would you take the Lord of the Rings over episodes four, five, and six? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay. Um, I thought for a lot, before they came, before Lord of the Rings came out, I'm presuming that that's what your answer is going to be. Cause that's, that's the normal answer. But yeah, for me, it's Lord of the Rings over original Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm quite surprised. Knowing you, I would have thought you'd have gone for a Star Wars answer there to be perfectly honest. Mm, interesting so mine i'm going to give an honorable mention for the third time this week to the evil dead trilogy <laughs> it, i just love it it, it, it doesn't the get trilogy the love it deserves. yeah it's it's such a wonderful set of films that first one is genuinely terrifying in parts the second one is a good old-fashioned horror film and the third one where they're throwing the comedic elements and it's a bit of a romp i just yeah it's a really good trilogy but that's just my honourable mention. Normally, I would probably go for the Cornetto trilogy, as you both know. For me, that is it's two tens and an eight, I think. You know, those films are just fantastic. But the trilogy I'm going to go for, it's going to take us full circle. And it's the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. Batman Begins is... I mean, the, the film starts at a ten. Batman Begins is a fantastic movie that I think is often overlooked because of how great The Dark Knight is. Mm. But The Dark Knight's an 11. It's that damn good. 
and then I think a lot of people do poo-poo the final film. But for me, again, it's such a good film. It's it's actually a film which has got a storyline of a man who has given everything to the city he loves and he's now broken down, but he's got one last job to do. And it, it doesn't feel cheesy, which I think a sign-off to a superhero film can do. And for me, it, it never gets quite to that point. The villains in all three films are entirely believable human beings. Yes, brother. <laughs> that's right yeah um you, you never look at it and think it's it, it yes i know it's based on a comic book character but at the same time it's basically a detective who just happens to wear a rubber suit if he was just in a dirty mac and it was colombo you wouldn't think twice it's a very similar sort of feel that it's it's just what he wears that makes him look different to your average um you know hero so for me, it would be the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, yeah, pretty much grounded in realism is exactly what the tagline of it should be. Mm. But I, I was going to say that there's been no honourable mention for The Godfather. I think it's just <sighs> based on... Uh, there's, there's so many trilogies that, yeah. that its third instalment absolutely brutalises it. And yeah. that's where The Godfather is for me, unfortunately. Um, it's the the perfect duology. The third film is just and and funnily the Ma- the Matrix for me is the reason why that didn't make it because I the first the first Matrix film is so up there. It was exactly it's so new metal, which mm. is the, the time <laughs> like the music that I grew up with. It's so new metal in it, it's those big long black trench coats and it's uh, it's just it's just everything that encapsulates what I was growing up. The Matrix loved it, but the third one and it just didn't he did nothing for me and the godfather unfortunately like you know excellent one thing i wanted to ask you guys are there any quadrilogies are there there any um that actually the fourth film ruins it entirely for you or, or really takes away so mine for example would be i know films have come out since but there was a massive time jump um alien and um mm the the fourth alien film um which re- a resurrection it was really really uh, it was just just awful absolutely hated it took away i mean alien 3 was a stretch with a dog alien um <laughs> but it's still it was alien it was good enough for me i i, I like i liked the idea of it being on like a, a prison colony planet and, and and all that came around but the fourth one it, it just ruined it for me so is there anything that immediately jumps out to you guys like a film that Push, push the franchise too far. Yeah, I mean, the one film that I refuse to accept exists is The Crystal Skull. Like, mm-hmm. the first three indie films are fucking brilliant, but the the fourth one of the franchise is... I know we mentioned it uh, last time out about the CG of the monkeys and stuff in it, <laughs> and it, it's so, so subpar for that cast and that director that it's it's an insult to what came before it so if either of you two would have said that your favorite trilogy is the indiana jones trilogy i would have perfectly accepted that because yeah. i just ignore the fourth one it, it doesn't exist there's so many of them are like that like Stu, what what obviously you're massively massively into die hard where are you with the the latest die hard film in comparison to the originals the the first two are superb. <laughs> they just the first two are tens. I mean, there's there's some years when I prefer prefer Die Harder to the first one. Some sometimes, um, 
Vengeance is alright. Vengeance is probably eight-ish. Um, Die Hard 4.0 where you're jumping over helicopters and it gets a bit nonsense. And then it should have just been that. Just leave it there. Um, and so you, you for the fourth one of that is probably a stretch as well, um, to be honest. Mm. Um, when when you bring his son back and all that stuff and this Die Hard Vendetta game was better than, <laughs> than the last film. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a case of more is not best sometimes. Mm. Um, and I know you were going to say with Crystal School, that was what I was thinking as well. Um, but there's uh, Superman 4. See, I think Superman 4 is better than Superman 3. <laughs> the, like, is... Neither is good, to be honest, but no. it just edges it. Superman 4, it was just throw it as much nonsense on the screen as you possibly can do and see what sticks because you've run out of money kind of situation. But, yeah. I mean, that's what it looked like. Um, yeah, it was cheap as shit, wasn't it? There was, the budget was, must have just been zero dollars. It was awful. It's a bit like <sighs> Robocop 3 as well. <laughs> I, know I, I never four. saw it. The, fir- the first one, excellent. The second one, okay. The third one where he gets a jetpack and he can fly and he can take his arm off with a gun. Um, and and then the fourth one, which is the series, just completely ruins it all. It completely ruins everything. The the prime directives, they're called. Mm. Um, and it, it was like a PG daytime Saturday um, TV set. Yeah, exactly. Good God. With, for Robocop. So he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't swear. You don't see any violence or anything like that. And it's... The bloke just looks like he's got cancer rather than being a, a, a cyborg. So it's just not very good at all. And it kind of, I think Gold, Gold sold me the Prime Directives for about five quid on mm. DVD. There's, there's three of them, three films, three, ex, three extra films that are just one one whole box of nonsense. So, so Stu, I've got, I've got a question yeah. for you then. Prime Directive Robocop or WCW Robocop? WCW because Prime Directives is just so bad. <laughs> <laughs> to be, I'd want a Robocop that teamed up with Sting as well. If I was, uh, yeah, if I was absolutely. You know so, what? I'd even take, I'd even take the um, the Joe Kinnaman Robocop over the Prime Directives. And it's, I know that that film gets a lot of shit because it's, it should never just, it should have been just been called something else other than Robocop because it's an all right sci-fi film in its own right. And it's got mm. moments, but. It's not Robocop at all. So, going on about quadrilogies, where do you stand on the Mad Max foursome? Because obviously I know you've got your first three, which are obviously uh, Mel Gibson, and then you've got your fourth one, which is Tom Hardy. I think that that's possibly... If that ends now, that has gone out on a high. Those first three are fine. They're, They're not bad films. But the fourth one is like twice as good as the next closest one for me. Fury, Fury Road's excellent, isn't it? Mm. He, um, he really is special. I mean, I I think I might have seen one of the original Mad Max years ago, so I can't really compare them to, to Fury Road. But if Fury Road is a standalone piece, is absolutely excellent. Stu, have you have you seen them? Are you more yeah, afraid of them? I watched them um, in the build-up to Fury Road coming out. So I was I was in the same boat. Mm. I hadn't seen them for a long... I mean, I think I, I watched them when I was a kid. Um, and I remember watching the third one. The third one with Tina Turner in. 
I remember watching. I remember watching that when my nan was alive and she died, died in '95. So, still, um, if that even works, or if that's kind of some kind of warp memory, I don't know. But yeah, the Fury Road's absolutely excellent. And have you seen the black and white version? There, not yet. It's it's something I want to try and find, but I've just not been able to yet. It's it. it I'm sure it's on the Blu-ray. It's worth it's worth buying okay. just for that. Um, because that as a but you could you could call it as a noir piece just just doing that to it it just works um yeah so i'll, I'll probably I'll agree with you in that one that's the, a rare case of the fourth one being better oh the, mm. another one lethal weapon lethal weapon yeah. four yeah is it's it has no right being decent at all after su- after such a long time and in, in still not being retired um <laughs> And being very old to this shit. With um, Jet Li, the fourth one. It's yeah, it's all right. It's good fun, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's another one where the series... I know a lot of people like that series. I, I never watched it, a single bit of it just because I, I couldn't get the image of them, the original two, out of my head when, I was, when I'd be watching it. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think that's... There's foursomes go. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot worse out there. I think what I quite like, the third one's a bit of a letdown, but the Scream films, I quite mm. enjoyed all four of those. I mean, the, the third one's watchable. It's not great. But the uh, the ones either side, I, always, I thought they were really good. Wes Craven at his best at points, I felt. Well, that defined a generation of, like, slasher flick, didn't it? Um, yeah. The Scream films. Um, I, by the time we got to the end of that, I did, I'm concerned it was a little bit of a, parody of itself mm. um towards the end but for you know for what they did culturally and how it defined like the 90s kind of slasher film you, you, you can't you can't say a bad word about it really if you're familiar with this podcast you'll know that Stu sometimes brings the low brow slight lack of decorum to some of his Drunken antics, maybe, but we do love him. However, on this occasion, on the next clip, he wanted to know what our favourite foreign language films were. And the clip following that, I wanted to reinvent the wheel and I wanted to ask the gang to remake a film of their choosing. Thanks for checking us out. We love you all. Thank you very much for listening. Nice and simple this week. What is your favourite foreign language movie? Matthew. Thank you, Stuart. I think very civilised this evening. There's a so, copious amount of Banksy's amber that I've drank all day today. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, after the uh, after the game earlier, I felt like alcohol might be on the menu, to be fair, but I digress. <laughs> it's, it's been on the menu since 12 o'clock. So, <laughs> so um, I was going to originally, but I've, t- I've talked about it too many times, I think, on the podcast already, go with something like Battle Royale or Life is Beautiful, but I, I seem to shoehorn those um, films in at every opportunity, really, uh, when we talk about it. So um, one film that I want to mention as probably one of my favourite, I, I, I haven't watched it recently, and I'm going to watch it on the back of, of researching it for this, um, The Lives of Others. I don't know if you've seen that, I review so basically the story um, of the East German um, member of the Stasi monitoring a play right basically so the Gestapo for want of a better word um, monitoring 
surveillance on citizens to make sure that they are keeping to the communist playbook let's put it that way um it's a really really heart wrenching film and a film that shows humanity in the worst of people but it keeps you on the edge of your seat because the film teases and and pulls you in different directions because you you follow the you follow the the stasi um officer and he doesn't know the internal conflict with him is really really powerful and you don't know if he's going to um turn in the people he's surveying uh is he going to let them get away with it is it's i don't want to spoil it because one sentence will ruin this film it's one of those just watch it. It's a really gut-wrenching film that shows the true emotion of a person, even someone as evil as the Nazis or, or, or the Stasi. Um, just watch it. You'll, 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 you'll really appreciate it. Sebastian Koch in this as well, who's been in a lot of things that we, we, we've seen. He was in, um, where's he gone now? He's in Homeland. There's Otto, people who've watched Homeland. Yeah, it's, um, he won the Oscar. Um, for, and the Danish girl. Oh, wow. Yeah, it won the Oscar for um, foreign film or foreign language film, two thousand and six, I think it was. Um, it's just a, it's just a really really excellent film. Um, not massively rated really that highly in terms of IMDb, but it's ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, audience score of ninety six percent. I think it was a. I might have got this wrong now. I think it was a. 2 million budget with a 77 million return as well so in terms of a percentage of purely from you know from brass tax as well it did fantastic numbers um i want you guys to watch it and get back to me basically because yeah, really yeah it's well, on my list name definitely list name as well. yeah. this list is going to be i've got a feeling this week is just going to be one where i've seen nothing and it's all going straight onto the list so the <laughs> lives of others <laughs> So for myself, I had a few written down. I had Battle Royale on the shortlist because I expected you to talk about it, to be honest, Matt. Um, yeah, it's a great film, so no more needs to be said. Um, I would also say Parasite, which finally won the Oscar. Don't need to go into any detail. I'm sure you've heard enough about it. It's an incredible film. I've yet to re-watch it because I'm waiting. I was going to go to the cinema to watch it when it was released in black and white. And then shit kicked off so obviously that's been on the back burner so the film i want to put a bit of love to is a film called roma and it's a film that should have won the oscar 12 fucking months ago it is incredible so it's set in a time of civil war stew's cursing me here because i've obviously stolen his thunder because i was i thought i was going to be clever this week i thought (laughs) i was going to get something you haven't seen (laughs) it's an oscar film of course i've seen it um yeah, so set in a time of civil unrest within, is it Cuba? I can't remember off the top of my head the uh, the country that it's set. Um, and it's about a cleaner and her life and trials and tribulations. And when the thing happens, at the it is the most devastating, heartbreaking scene I have ever seen. You feel part of it. You feel like you were in the room when it happens. And it's... It's up there with 12 Years a Slave for the impact it had on me at full time, that it was just what an awful, awful world this place can be at times. It's beautiful. And it should have won the Oscar. Uh, Was it Alfonso Cuaron, I think, was the director of it? And 
the fact that Green Book won that year is a fucking travesty. <laughs> like, it's up there with the shitty crash that won the Oscar over Brokeback Mountain. It's appalling that Roma didn't get the love that it deserves. Also, two other quick shout-outs, and both of these go to Guillermo del Toro, Pan's Labyrinth, gorgeous, and El Orfanato, which he produced, which is a Spanish-language horror, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> Sorry, Stu. <laughs> I, I had three, and I thought, well, there's going to be at least one, and thankfully you didn't mention me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think Pan's Labyrinth was one of the one of the first ones that I could think... Thinking in, when I thought about this question, I thought, what was the first one they actually paid attention to? Mm. And because it's so fucked up and strange, you don't really, it doesn't really matter that it's Spanish or whatever in the, the mystical nonsense yeah. of it all. It's just, it's just, you could watch that without any context of just how visually amazing it is. Pan's Labyrinth, it, obviously. Yeah. And it's a grown up nurse, uh, fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, oh, it's stunning. Some of the best visuals I've ever seen in a film as well. Love it. Well, you look. You, you wouldn't have got the Hellboy gig, would he, if he hadn't done that? Very true, very true. Um, and the man with the eyes in his hands. Yeah. Like, terrifying. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, the other one was the one that kind of, again, late to the part that introduced me to wire work, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay. Which, all that, because all, I wasn't really a part of like, Asian cinema and all that kind of thing. It was all... Oh, this is all bollocks! It's nonsense. And what? How is this entertainment? And then I, I thought I can't remember how or who took me to watch this one. But we, we were sitting there, and I thought this is class. And ever since then, I going back into the back catalogue of Asian cinema and all that kind of thing. I've got a proper love from it from Crouching Tiger. So that's got kind of a kind of warm place in my heart, so to speak. Oh, fantastic! I've never seen it. It's been one that's <gasps> been on the list. Oh come on! And. Like other films get added, and it's always been fairly low on the on the priority list. Maybe I should bump it up. Have oh, you seen uh, Kung Fu Hustle? Yes. No. Good film, though. It's not. It's oh, not I've like good things. It, it's it's it's, it, it's no Kung Fu Panda. Let's just get it put it there. Whoa. Whoa there. <laughs> That's another one I'm adding to the list. Kung Fu oh. Hustle. <laughs> I say Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> no, I've seen that one. I, I quite enjoyed that. God, that I was can't Jack remember. Black, wasn't it? I remember yeah. uh, going to the cinema and seeing something really, really like powerful, like a really, like a proper thought-provoking film. Can't be that thought-provoking. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but like, me and my me and my friend had the day to ourselves, and we had those City World Unlimited passes, and we thought, oh, should we just make a day of this? Yeah, we will actually. We'll go see like two or three films in a row. What's on? Kung Fu Panda Two. Why the fuck not? So then we just went and, went and watched it. Oh man! Another cinema memory. Just before we just before we move on, I'll never forget walking into the King's Speech right late. I might add, just a faux pas. I know, mm-hmm. and the overwhelming smell of talcum powder and those <laughs> and those sweets that come in the little tins um, with the like not sherbet but like a sugary thing because it was quite an 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 elderly screening of mm-hmm. people. And it just, it just, it just smelled like going to like your grandparents' house. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And then my mate, my mate Rob, like, so he's your worst enemy, Andy. Instead of like, you know, you you take food in a bag, absolutely fine. I've got no issue with that. Instead of taking a big bag of crisps, he took six individual bags <laughs> oh, of my crisps. God. That's that's just fucking evil. Sacrilege. Jesus. Anyway, have either of you ever two walked into the wrong screening before? Uh, yeah, I have. I've never I have, yeah. 
I've walked in that? and been like, hmm, something's not quite right here. Not, I'm not been, I'm not like sat down and carried on watching. I've realised the error of my ways, but then yeah, I have, I have done that. I um went to see. I think it was when Orange Wednesdays were brand new. Oh, so yeah, me, yeah. me and my cousin went to see Harry Potter, whichever one it was. I don't know. There was fuck all else on. And we went, sat down, and like the film started, and I'm like, well, this isn't Harry Potter. And it was um, Fifty First Dates, oh, wow. the Adam Sandler. Drew Barrymore film. So, Fuck it, we just sat there and watched the whole film, and actually, I, I quite enjoyed it in the end. Apart from my Adam Sandler rants last week or two weeks ago, I don't mind that one. That one's okay. That's one of his better ones. That and Wedding Singer are two of his better comedies. I feel. I don't know. It's just something about Drew Barrymore. Maybe it just reins him in a little bit. And well, I guess that leads us on quite nicely to my question the last question of the evening um i want to know what do you want rebooting so i can give you the magic wand and uh, at a limited budget you can have anything rebooting but my only caveat is it can't have already have been rebooted so it could have had sequels but you know i'll let i'll give you the um i'll give you the creative license here it can't have already have been rebooted uh Stu. Oh no, this is kind of, oh no, because it hasn't technically. There was a film that came out that I was really excited for when I when I saw the trailer for it. And you think of all the stars that are in it. The um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh yes. Okay. Two, mm-hmm. 2003, incredibly. Um, you look at the, that cast that they had and the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, because there's, if have you, I know the the answer is probably going to be no, but if you put the order, um, eighteen eighty six on PS four, it's no, it's only about six hours long, but it was based same kind of thing, almost like steampunk alternative reality London, um, with werewolves and and vampires and stuff like that. And it was a really cool idea, mm. but again, it was badly done. And like that film, I I, I think I watched it about five years ago, and it's just shit. But the idea behind it is excellent, and with they could break it off. And I know that they kind of there was ideas behind doing the monster films and bringing them back. And did, did it even happen in the end? Did they even get anywhere near to doing that? Um, but that whole steampunk Victorian London with werewolves, monsters, creatures—it just—it was an excellent idea. Mm-hmm. But it was just really badly done at the time as well in 2003. And it's been long enough. Bring it back. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good shave because, like you said, there's um like if you've got the source material which is just excellent, that comic book series is brilliant. So th- there's enough there that they could have made a really really good film. But I think there was infighting between the director and Sean Connery, if I remember correctly. Um, but that's a good call, and that's one that I thought of. Um, annoyingly, most of the ones I've thought of have already been rebooted. So, <laughs> like Spider Man, because we don't have enough Spider Man. Um, <laughs> Now, um, I really thought of uh, Little Shop of Horrors, but that obviously the musical version was a reboot of the original version. But I think if you could have done a reboot of the original that wasn't a musical, that is just a flat out horror movie, I thought that could have been really cool. But obviously that that goes against Matt's rules. It does. Yeah. (laughs) So 
it's such a tough choice. I mean, there's that many films. Like, I thought maybe New Mutants, because there's something there that could have been brilliant, but really, that just needs re-editing. And the same with Suicide Squad. But hopefully, the Suicide Squad, which is due out soon, should be a, a reboot, effectively, or, or replacing what's already gone on. So, I, I don't quite know what I would want to be the big reboot, because most of the great films that I like have already had that, that one bite of the cherry. Mm. So, um, it's a tough choice. I'd quite like a nostalgia... Oh, I say nostalgia. I'd like a view of rebooting the original Superman. And not the sequel that was the Superman Returns, but a classic clean-cut version of Clark mm. Kent, very much in the, the mould of Christopher Reeve. I'd like to see where that could go and take it further so when you have more storylines, and it's not just about him versus Lex Luthor. We now live in an age where actually you could probably bring in someone like Brainiac. And I don't... and like. The Man of Steel films, I don't see as a reboot to Superman. It's a complete different film. It's almost in a different genre now because comic book films now were a complete different beast to what they were in the 70s and 80s. So I'd probably say a classic version of Superman would be my uh, my pick for a reboot. Excellent. Uh, I thought you were going to go and attack my bow there. I thought you were going to say Transformers. Well, I mean, I did think about it, but, uh, well, I, I don't know. Is that in the works? Because is um, Michael Bay finally leaving? Are we going to get something else? Hopefully not. I mean, Bumblebee was kind of like a soft like soft mm. reboot, but it's still in this whole continuity, which makes no sense anyway. But it's still mm. part of that whole thing. So you, you, I, you, I did if, think... If it happens, you're going to be leaving it a good 10 years or so before I, anything yeah. happens to I think so. I did think uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but rebooting the original, so you've got people in costumes, not that CG monstrosity that was actually released as well. I thought, you know, th- there's something there, but I think everything where there's a, a good seed, they've they've tried to reboot mm. it already. Mm. What about yourself, well, Matt? What were you thinking? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple, to be fair. Um, one had already sort of been tried, but canned. Um, but that would have been The Crow. Now, I mentioned it when we did the comic book yeah. films uh, the other day. I'd really like to see what they could do with The Crow um, with modern technology. Um, my fear would be that they would, for, well, for our American audience, PG-13 it, as mm. opposed to give it the gritty edge that it needs, really, to be a, to be you know as close to the source material as possible. I'd love to, I'd love to see uh, a reboot of Gremlins. Oh um, come on! Because they've spoke about doing that so many times, or at least mm-hmm. doing a third and, and completing the trilogy. I'm amazed they haven't got around to it. That's a top shape, that is. Shoot, it does what, need what, it. Give me your rebuttal. What's the, what was that out, outburst for? Just leave it alone. That, that, that one doesn't need touching whatsoever. No, it doesn't need touch. It doesn't need to. But come on, just think what they can do now with 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 that. I love those films. And we're talking about nostalgia. It's got to be, you know, Gremlins is up there as one of the most nostalgic for me. And I'd just love to see what they could do with it going forward. And, and you know, I, I'd like... I don't, I don't think it'll work with CG there, but that, I think that's part of the charm of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, exactly that's exactly what they'd do to it. Do you think? They wouldn't do it practically. It would cost too much. Mm. 
Maybe. Yeah, true. <clears throat> but it'd be good. I mean, it'd be nice if we could get more films with like the Jim Henson workshop involved. Yeah. So you could get those those classic sort that classic feel of having practical effects rather than it just being CG all the time. Like the um the Dark Crystal series on mm. um, Netflix. Yeah. Mm. I think um there's there's a real appetite for me at least to have a new a new a rebooted American Werewolf in London as well because I bloody mm. love that film and I think they could um, they could do a really really good job of of you know the effects at the time because we're so far removed from that film look pretty shambolic but speaking to people who watched that film when it came out talked about how terrifying it was and how like just unbelievable this film was to them and I'd like to see what they how they how they translated that to us in you know the modern day with modern effects as well have you seen the sequel to that in paris, in paris. yeah no, no i haven't seen it no. no because that me and me and dean went to watch that at the cinema when obviously we were way too young to watch it when he came out and because he looked like a 40 year old man when we were 12 he, it was fine um <laughs> but i remember thinking that because they'd made a whole thing about the transformation scene in the first one in before that came out and if you watch the transformation scene in the paris film it's it it probably still looks it looks decent now compared mm. to the original because they would spent a lot of money on that scene to kind of recapture it a bit. Mm. What about? I, oh, sorry, carry on, Matt. No, no, no. I was just saying. I was just thinking, thinking back. Actually, flipping the question on its head a little bit and thinking about what some of the best reboots are that they have been. Um, and for me, I, I can't think. I can't get. get past how good the new of the apes series is whatever that would be you know whichever whichever title of it you yeah. want to use just how good those films are they really really grabbed me when those came out because i really didn't like any of the kind of pre um rise of the planet of the apes or anything like that series yeah. it just didn't do anything for me shut your mouth i'm sorry mate I... it's, the, like, it's just the the effects on them the oh they just look, looks look terrible but i think i think this is just a a, a generational thing I mean, to be fair, I watched them. <laughs> fuck you. I watched them about five years ago. I watched the the whole um, five or six, the, the original. I, I didn't watch the Tim Burton one again because I saw it once and that was bad enough. And yeah, the effects aren't brilliant, but the storyline's good enough to pull you through. And I think that helps with it. But yeah, the the reboot is phenomenal and. I assume they're going to leave it where they are because it does now lead straight into the original setup. But I would be quite happy for them to continue that and do more films in that vein. I think it'd be really good. There's a game on PS4 and Xbox that is in the same universe if you want to carry the story on. Oh, okay. Right. It's a bit like the um, Telltale Walking Dead games. Mm. Okay. Uh, what do we think about the live action Disney remakes? Have, have we seen many of these? I mean, for myself, uh, all, yeah, so far I've seen The Lion King and Jungle Book. Those are the two I've seen. Uh, no, and I've seen Beauty and the Beast as well. Um, yeah, Be- I like Beauty and the Beast, though. I thought that was really good. Uh, yeah, it was okay. It's not my bag to begin with, but the, the, the wife loved it, thought it was fantastic. I thought The Jungle Book was up there as like one of the best reboots of a, of a source material I've ever seen. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was amazing. Mm. Really, really enjoyed it. Lion King, I'm going to really mark my name now, but I'd, I'd, I'd 
seen Lion King once, and I think I was about five years old, and I hadn't seen it since. <laughs> so this was almost like seeing the original for me, seeing the, the live action one. Um, it was okay. It was it didn't it didn't really grab me, and I think again you want to talk nostalgia. I think that's probably why. I think it, that you'd appreciate it a lot more if you're a, a bigger fan of the the original material. Probably. Um, I really didn't like the Lion King remake. I thought it was terrible. I, I couldn't get over the fact that they looked like real lions, but they were talking. Like, I, I don't know who this is made for. Just, mm. just give me the original animated film. It doesn't need this. And I think sometimes you do. They do fall down this trap of we can, so we will. I didn't think that was particularly needed. Um, Dumbo, have either of you seen the remake of that? I've heard bad things about it, but it is Tim Burton, so there's a good chance. No, the only the only ones the only ones I've watched is Beauty and the Beast and Jungle Book because I don't want to watch them. There's no point. No, same. And the Lion the Lion King especially because I've got it on 3D Blu-ray and converting a film from mid 90s, an animated 90s film into 3d should never work and he makes it look brand new and that's mm. good enough for me if you want to be gimmicky do that but it's just yeah. it's perfect it's perfect in every way there's no need to touch it that, that's completely fair to be honest what console was it that had that lion king side scrolling game on was that the mega drive mega drive i think yeah, yeah i had that is that out again now another did the um the aladdin yeah it is yeah. I'm sure you can you can it's that's on your if you go on your or well, is it PlayStation exclusive again? <laughs> I think it's PlayStation exclusive because I bought the DuckTales one that they did with DuckTales and their two Chippendale games. Yeah. And then they did the Disney film games as well. Yeah. You just need to buy one, Matt, just join us. Um, what do we think about when films are remade for an English speaking audience? Fine. So obviously stuff like um Old Boy for example, does it need a remake? Should we just accept it in its original format? I think I think it's got an audience because you're not gonna not everyone is gonna sit there either watching a dub or read subtitles, are they? So it's for lazy it's for lazy people. That's what <laughs> <laughs> it's for lazy, stupid Westerners who don't want to watch things like um the ring properly and mm. things like that. But again, They've got an audience, don't they? And people watch them. So, and it, there's some some things like that where, well, what's the uh, the re- American, or was it an English remake of the um, the bridge, the the uh, Swedish drama, the, the series that turned into the tunnel. Yes, the one with um, oh, fucking hell, the Stannis Baratheon in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really really good series. That is, yeah. Um, I'd never known of the original. Matt, do you, if if a film gets released in English language, would you be more inclined to see it, or would you? No, I don't. I don't think does so. Does it make no. any difference? No, I don't think so. But then again, I'm I'm the kind of person who she's probably like this is probably like sacrilege here and a cardinal sin. But sometimes I'll just have a film with subtitles on anyway, just for shits and giggles. Anyway, just in case, like if so. <laughs> No, I haven't really, really don't have a problem with subtitled films anyway, and I don't want to see remakes of them. I'm glad that the Hunger Games nixed the the plans for a remake of Battle Royale, for example. Mm. Um, one of my favourite films of all time ever, Life is Beautiful. I'd hate it if they they tried to capture that as a as a remake and and try and do it for an English speaking audience. I think it would be awful. And you know, things like Old Boy, if they ever, I, I don't believe they've ever tried to do Itchy the Killer, or um, 
as a as a remake of that. I just I don't, no, not for me because they're made with the cultural impacts of the places that they're from, and you're never going to be able to um, recapture that the original source material in the same way that the original director would have wanted to do it in you know in the same in the same way no leave it alone come you know mm. do a cheap do a cheap imitation but don't do a remake have you yeah. seen the remake of old boy as you've mentioned it yeah yeah i've seen it I wasn't i wasn't overly enamored by it no i've, I've like i like spike lee so um but i haven't seen it purely because the original is so good. I think it, it just doesn't feel like it was completely necessary in the slightest. But I have just read that our beloved Nick Cage was in a remake that we've watched already, which is City of Angels. Apparently it's based on a 1987 German film called Wings of Desire, <laughs> which has got an 8 out of 10 on IMDb and a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I might try and dig this film out now just to see how it stacks up against uh, those you, horrendous fucking scripts the we were made to fit should, together. Should we try and get, like, a listener total or a, some kind of, like, reply total? If get enough, we'll do a bonus episode on Wings of Desire. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, would... things that, the, um, like that we, I mentioned at the start of when we started doing this podcast, the um, 365 Gin on um, Netflix, the Polish erotic drama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You couldn't possibly remake that in any... Well, I know it's largely in English anyway, and it's kind of half and half, but you couldn't remake that, remake that anywhere. It's it's very unique in its own way. Right, okay. And so I think sometimes it does, like... You it, lo- it did you lo- feel like Old Boy was very much... It needed to be in Japan. It was a lot about the, the culture there so i can't imagine that was transposed very well at all yeah you look you lose something when you when you change it around mm. but again like i said doing that you don't have to watch this the remake if you want to watch it if you want to watch the original and watch it properly watch the, the original watch it with subtitles but if it makes if it broadens the audience to people who are too lazy to do that or just don't want to do that then i don't i ain't got a problem with it mm. Well, listen, listen to this, right, about, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that may go and watch it, but some of the reviews of, of the remake of Old Boy, and this is my fear for any of these kind of things in the first place. One, um, one review, suitably grim and bloody, yet disappointingly safe and shadow, um, shallow, mm. sorry, I should say. Um, so again, you know what I mean? And then we've got another one here. The Revenge in Old Boy is neither sweet nor sour. It's just drab. And I, I just don't think, I don't think, directors will be able to grab the same feelings that because because foreign film is so unusual to us because the styles are so different they grab you in a different way than if 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 like a western you might want to say director does it and i just don't think that they have the same the same limitations aren't there for some foreign directors um I, just leave it alone please that's all i ask i think, I think you know, you'll you'll might see a change now with um Oh, what was he called? Parasite, Parasite winning stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which mm. I, I still haven't seen it, just because I ain't got around to it. But for that winning things, and you think, oh yeah, you people actually can watch foreign films and not yeah. be geeks about it, then mm. maybe that'll change things. Mm. I think a big issue with the, the the transposing these films from their their native to let, let's be honest, it's usually Hollywood. 
it's the studio interference. So, like, yeah. you know that Spike Lee is a more than competent director and mm, given yeah. the right script, he's going to make a brilliant film. So, old boy being moved to the States should theoretically work with the right director. True, yeah. But I can't imagine a studio would be happy and give him the sort of free reign needed to eat a live squid and that sort of thing and have the whole incest storyline that that comes with it without them trying to sanitize it in some way uh-huh, uh-huh. so i think that does play a big role in it is yeah, maybe now that netflix is a bigger player in this game that they they do seem to afford creators a bit more freedom maybe that might make some difference in the future yeah, yeah. exactly good point i mean i mean why is emmanuel not being remade <laughs> or confessions of a window make uh, window cleaner randy robin asquith yeah do you know what, have you ever seen a Robin Asquith film, Matt? I don't believe I have. Oh, you, you're missing out. This, <laughs> for our American friends, look up the Confessions films somehow. They yeah, are, uh, see if you can find him there. You, you, you ain't going to get more British. Something. Yeah. More, more 70s British than them. <laughs> Confessions mm. of a Window Cleaner is a 1974 British sex comedy film. <laughs> 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 it, it, they used to be called bawdy comedies b-a-w-y yeah. <laughs> bawdy oh comedies what, what am i watching here what is this it, it's a bit like i suppose carry on but taken to the next level mm. almost me. <laughs> I, I imagine they appeal to a specific kind of human being <laughs> And Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was a very thinly veiled dig, wasn't it? <laughs> I still think I've watched them all. All of <laughs> the taxi driver, um, driving instructor. Or was it the same one? I can't remember. It's been a while. I'm going to have to deep dive these now. You just listed <laughs> the fake taxi episodes, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If there was no confessions film, there wouldn't be no fake taxi. <laughs> In this next clip, we've got our long-term collaborator David Evans making a cameo appearance. It's weird saying cameo appearance because Dave was the reason that the three of us know each other in the first place and without him recruiting me and then Andy and Matt to the Walls fancast, we had never met. Obviously, as you've gathered from these podcasts over the last couple of years, we are very different people and other than our love of Wolves, have very little in common. Um, Yes, Dave recruited us, put us together, and I think we'd only actually been on a few podcasts um, before we did our film cast in the first place, so it's a, having Dave on is always a joy, um, and as you'll see here, but then we do get slightly emotional because it's one last question, and it's time to cry. So I want to know, what's your favourite cameo in a film now this could be either a character that pops up or uh, well i'm looking more of a kind of the actress actor actress but they could be popping up as a character or they could just be themselves so what's your favorite cameo in a film i've gone i've gone for one of each so my favorite cameo where they're playing themselves that would be bill murray in Zombieland. like it's just yes. a whopper of a cameo and i've asked yes. you thunder again <laughs> It, yeah, it's brilliant. You you don't expect it. I know they mention him a couple of times throughout the film because 
Woody Harrelson's character that he's a fan, and then they go to his house, and it just comes out of nowhere, just completely destroys the fucking camera because he's so funny. And then he's gone in the blink of an eye, and it's excellent. And the other one I really like is uh, Christopher Walken's in um, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so he comes in as Captain Koontz, and he explains to the young kid about his his father's watch that he smuggled out of Vietnam because his father died in, in a prisoner of war camp and he had to smuggle it out up his asshole. And he's just explaining to this small boy about shoving it up his bum and it it just really tickles me. And it's obviously not a comedy because it's Pulp Fiction for crying out loud. But those are the two that came to my mind. I'm sorry, Stu. Well, it's... Uh, <laughs> again, I've, we've kind of got used to this now and done a few answers because of this happening all the time. Um, but one that just because it was completely out of the blue, Samuel L. Jackson at the end of Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. No cool. one, no one, apart from lunatics who appreciate the art, stay till the very end, especially at that time when nothing mm. came at the end of films. And I don't even know why we did it for that one, but we did. And then that came on, and we hadn't heard about it before. And we didn't know that obviously it was him in it, but it was just a shock. And you can hang on a minute, this is going to be linked. And then it, it, was, mm. it was just magical for the time. But that, and the other one, the other than the one you just stole, um, <laughs> Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Yes. Completely, I know it's not really a cameo because he has got a, a kind of decent role in it in the end, but it's just a shock because you don't see him in the, any of the promotional stuff. He's not mentioned before, and then he's there on his, in his kind of throne <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of the jungle. But yeah, them. T- when you said the questions, then with the, the three that came to mind straight away. Yeah. Matt? So I've gone for three, really. Um, not really a cameo playing himself, but I just had to throw it in. So, so Dave, I might stole your thunder here. Um, Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips in Rocky Three. Um, <laughs> it's just, just because... It's just... This was before Hulk Hogan was um, the superstar um kind of baby face at the time i believe so it was he was as kind of he was kind of getting into that role and the only reason i enjoy it so much is because whenever i'm like wearing something really garish or a wool shirt or something like that and my wife says to me are you really wearing that my only ever reply is thunder lips in the flesh baby it's just always my, <laughs> always my answer i don't know why because i just find it because thunder lips obviously loves himself so much and so do i in terms of seriousness, well, not not seriousness actually. Um, Lou Ferrigno in "I Love You, Man." Um, when uh, basically Paul Rudd's character is trying to sell Lou Ferrigno's palatial estate, um, and he's just really funny in it. Um, he there's there's a really funny line where um, is it Jason Siegel? Have I got the right guy there? Um, who's yeah. in? Yeah. He's trying to fight um, Lou Ferrigno because he um, and he he just shouts, "Fuck you, Hulk!" And he's got him in. A, he puts him in a sleeper hold, um, and he's just really, he's just really um, doesn't take himself too seriously. Allows himself to be taken the piss out of a little bit, and that's the best kind of cameo, really, where an actor doesn't take himself too seriously. Which is similar to my third choice, um, which is actually Eminem in the interview. Um, <laughs> He comes in this interview uh, where essentially he comes out with the fact really flippantly that he's gay. Oh, and, you yeah. know, for, for a rapper that is obviously massively been controversial for like homophobic slurs in his, in his art, um, 
for him to come out with this was just a real kind of it just made me smile massively made me smile he does it so deadpan and then the reaction the really hysterical reaction that the media puts on this and some of like the headlines that they throw up really really quickly um it was just really funny really really made me laugh so yeah eminem in the interview as well was uh, was it was a great cameo for me what about you dave so i've gone for two of the same actor and i've gone for matt damon for a couple of different reasons so <laughs> matt damon's cameo in interstellar because it was one of those moments when he kind of comes out of the cry chamber you're like Oh, that's Matt Damon, and he plays such a big role in the film, but it was never advertised whatsoever. Yeah. So that was quite a big shock, and to see that you know that he had a, a good substantial part in the film, and it wasn't kind of made clear that he was in it. The other one is him and Sam Neill's cameo in Thor Ragnarok, uh, where they're reenacting uh, Loki's death from the second film in a yes. kind of little play. Um, and that was again a really nice surprise, really fun. Um, I think I think Matt Damon is Loki in that, isn't he? And Sam Neill is Odin. But yeah, that was a really nice twist, and that was a typical uh, Wahiti kind of comedic kind of line and, and use there in that film. But yeah, I love both of those have been a kind of classic kind of uh, cameos that I've loved in recent years. Oh, excellent. Oh, Matt Damon's got a really good cameo in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. Because he's been in a few of those films anyway, but he then appears as himself. Uh, him and Ben Affleck both do. It's really good fun, that is. But um, that's very niche films. They're the, uh, the View Ask Universe ones. Yeah, I think going from silly things, the completely opposite of silly things, well, Depends which way you take it. My question this week was going to be, what was the last film that made you cry? Andrew? Right, okay. Now, Here we I go. Cry- <laughs> oh, no. I cry at films all the time. I'm terrible for it. I'm not I'm quite a stony person, generally speaking, but if I'm watching a film, I blubber. So, as ever, I've, I've answered it by giving a couple of uh, examples. When I watch Marriage Story at Christmas time, it absolutely destroyed me i couldn't tell you many films which have made me just break down but marriage story reduced me to bits the performance from adam driver was i'll be honest this is a hill i will die on he should have won the oscar this year shouldn't have been wacky in phoenix should have been adam driver for that performance because the way he showed the bare bones of a human being who had been taken to his edge during his divorce from scarlett johansson's character it was devastating and I got all the way through the film and then right at the very end I was just in bits for like a good half an hour or so I just I couldn't hack it it, it broke me mentally uh, the last that, that wasn't the last film because I think I watched that the day before I went to see Little Women which I saw at the <laughs> cinema and uh, there's the bit where spoiler alert but Beth dies and I didn't realize that she dies and it's so sad and I was just wiping a tear away from the corner of my eye. And this woman had brought a baby into the screen. <laughs> so this baby interrupted my crying by crying. And it, it really pissed me off. I, I was not happy. And, and the final film I was going to mention, it's a film that always devastates me. And it's My Girl. I mean, it's yeah. a 29-year-old film. I saw it at the cinema when I was eight years old. And it broke my heart then. And it was on Channel 5 not that long ago. And as I was flicking through the channels, it landed on my girl in the funeral scene. I hadn't seen the rest of the film or anything. I knew exactly what was going on. 
and I just I broke down because my girl gets me every single time. It's incredible. But what about you, Matt? Okay, we're going to go from the ridiculous to the serious here. But one thing, and I'm not saying it makes me cry. I just want to say one thing that makes me sad, not cry. So I'm going to put the disclaimer out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Bean, the ultimate disaster movie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when that fa- when that family shun Bean, I'm telling you, Rowan Atkinson deserves <laughs> some kind of plaudit because he for for a ridiculous character, he's really sad. It's properly sad. Like they they, they just they, you know he's just left on his own and he's this strange man in a strange uh, strange land that doesn't understand you know the the cultures and he's just left on his own. And I just think to myself, man, imagine if that was you, he'd just be really sad. But there, but there we go. Um, <laughs> now back to the to the legitimate. Um, a TV show I want to just shoehorn in. Um, the Queen of Sheba episode of the Royal Family. Um, so through all of the Royal Family, this is one of the, the, the later episodes. You've got Jim and his, um, his mother-in-law um, who are really, I wouldn't say hate each other, but they, they're backwards and forwards, always bickering, always arguing. Um, and the Queen of Sheba, I mean, it's, it's been out years now, so I'm not going to feel bad about spoiler alerts, but it's basically the story of, of the nan of the family passing away. Um, and having kind of been through a very similar um, scenario where um, in my own real life where my, my nan had deteriorated over time and you, you say your goodbyes in the hospital before um, she passes away. Uh, if I watch that, guaranteed tears all over the place. Like it, it, it takes quite a bit for me to get emotional in a film, but um, this show, it was, it was just it's awful. And I think it's encapsulated by, um, they do a point of view shot from um from the nan with all of the the cast saying their goodbyes pretty much um and it's really sad because these are characters for for the whole show all we do is ridicule them for how kind of dumb they are we don't really get real emotion out of them that isn't something that's comedic and then we see this and it absolutely breaks me every time really 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 like it's 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 so it's so bittersweet because it's it's for me a really funny program but that that episode just breaks me um, Film-wise, I think the last film that really made me cry was um, The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith. Mm. Um, when he's um, in the uh, the toilets and someone's banging on the door and he's got nowhere to take um, his son, he just really hit home for me. I don't know. I, I, think, I've, I think I said it on either the first or second podcast. Um, all the best cowboys have daddy issues is, is like a, a phrase. Well, it's a, an episode of a, of a lost episode, believe it or not. Um, but it's just that father-son relationship thing, for whatever reason, really hit me. And um, I just felt so sorry for Will Smith's character in that, just thinking that he must be verging on suicidal in, in not being able to provide for his own son and being in these conditions. And it just really, really hit me. And I just, um, it's, it's un- it was an uncomfortable watch. It still is an uncomfortable watch, and it gets me as well. Uh, but yeah, there you go, from the ridiculous to, to Will Smith and back. <laughs> I do like Will Smith. I think he's an underrated actor. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously known for being his big outlandish characters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in films like Pursuit of Happiness and also his performance in Concussion, I think that is such a good, powerful performance from him. And I don't think he gets the respect that he's due in doing these these more sort of um, these quieter roles as he does sort of doing like when he's in Independence Day or the Bad Boys films. Yeah, it's um, 
it's a shame that it will get kind of lumbered into those roles um, and not be taken a bit more seriously as an actor. But performances in these in these roles shows a bit of depth that you might overlook. But yeah, pursuit of happiness um, for me. Yeah, get the tissues ready. <laughs> and mine would, as you expect, slightly different. Um, there's a, there's Listen, a few... Transform- Transformers is not a sad film, mate. <laughs> You, as I say, it's a spoiler, but when Prime goes down that first time, <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually on the, on the notes. Um, but now that there was um, every year when the, the music in Home Alone at the, at the end, the, um, the, actual, the actual score kicks in at the end of the film and it's always like, oh. Um, but on a similar note, uh, Claws, the Netflix Christmas oh, film from last year. Yeah, 100%. it was. I, I was so surprised. I, mean, I know it had been hyped up all year round that Netflix were doing these things. I mean, J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, and John Schwartzman, and it's just, it's incredible. I mean, we obviously not go into it. Just, just watch it. What well, this Christmas um, or October when it is officially Christmas anyway. Um, <laughs> about a postman who gets sent to the North Pole and it's like the birth of Santa and all this stuff but it's just a really really emotional really really lovely film mm, um, and the other one was Dunkirk and I know it's I, I think it might have been about the whole experience about just watching that, that me and my brother watching it and it was a completely dead cinema and there was, everyone was completely silent from start to finish and I mean, when we found it later that a lot of it was improvised as well and it wasn't really scripted. And it was a been a Nolan film as well. Obviously, we that's the reason we went. And it was just one of them where just toward there's just things that happen towards the end where it just really got us. I mean, both of us, I mean, we, we didn't speak to the, to each other at all until we got back to the car. Mm. It was just it finished. Everyone sat in the seats. Obviously, there was going to be no end credit scene, but everyone just sat there, like pure respect for the film, and then just got up and left, and no one said a word. And it was just really powerful. And I don't know if that's going to stand back, stand by and stand up when I watch it again on VOD or Blu-ray or whatever. But for that for that moment we were in, that was that was just, that was special. Yeah, that's nice. That's like when something hits you like that that you can't you can't form a sentence or you just can't say anything. And almost out of respect for the film, I don't know. But mm. um, you know, when something hits you like that, it is it is strange. A strange. It, well, it, it's that question really like why do we go to cinema to get scared or to to, to cry or, or hear you know or feel these horrible emotions like why why do we put ourselves through the misery of it but when, when you when you get that film it is magical isn't it yeah it really is i think the last film that i saw that did that was um 12 years a slave oh. i remember watching it and then just sitting there thinking a million different thoughts of how on earth did this happen and why are we so shitty to each other it's yeah and honestly that that film just broke me it was it, it felt like it was a something that would change you fundamentally if you saw it because it was just so powerful or not seven years a slave as the barber told me which must have been a <laughs> an edited version of it um a film like that for me to be fair was when um four lions when I when the end oh, of Four yeah. Lions, 
I, I honestly didn't know what to feel in the cinema because I saw it in the, I saw it in the cinema when it was released, and I just didn't know what to feel. I thought like, oh, there's a there's a punchline coming here somewhere. There's a gag coming here somewhere, and I just didn't know what to feel. It was so strange. It was like, and I've watched it since. And it didn't quite have the same effect because I know I know what's happening. Kind of the lucky number Slevin effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just um, yeah. When, when when those films hit you, they hit you hard. But I suppose that's why we, that's why we really enjoy it, isn't it? To 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 feel the the wide range of the spectrum of emotions, isn't it? It is. I think it's a way of experiencing things, but in a sanitized way. Mm-hmm. It's like th- there's no way that you can experience horror in a safe way. Is that? I mean, if you're out in the streets and you feel in danger, you're in danger. Yeah. If you feel it in a cinema, you're still safe, but you're experiencing that that anxiety but in a in a safe way really mm-hmm. so I, I think yeah. that's that's part of why we, we go to the cinema that's part of why we watch films like ridiculous horror films that scare the shit out of you is so that you can experience it but know that at the end of it all you're going to be safe yeah or do what I do what I do and just be like yeah I'm just gonna grab a do you want a drink from the kitchen or whatever yeah is that... <laughs> <laughs> Just need to put the light on for a yeah, minute. So just, I know oh, it's just okay. uh, make sure the door's locked. Yeah, yeah no worries. <laughs> well, the only time I've ever done that, it, it was on a TV show. I was watching the X Files, and there's the episode with Eugene Toomes who can creep through <laughs> letterboxes. And I, I actually had to check the letterbox after that episode. <laughs> yeah, it probably yeah, um, got me that one, did. <laughs> my sister, because she had an air vent in her bedroom, and <laughs> we had to we had to cover it up. Mum had to cover it up because she watched it. I mean, I, that was one. That was in the first series as well, and so that was what ninety four. Yeah. So she would she would have only been about what, four or five. <laughs> <And> she, <laughs> obviously, at that time, only having one telly in the house, so she was downstairs and we was watching it, and it proper scared the shit out of her. <laughs> and it, even though it's that you that Eugene Victor Tombs to us, shut up. Or <laughs> the second episode, Squeeze, which came later on. Um, but yeah, that was for for a small child. That the fly got me like that as well. I went. I watched the fly when I was nine. That, that is too young to watch the fly, to be honest. The, obviously, the Jeff Goldblum version. Mm. Um, but it, I had to sleep in Mum's bed at the bottom of the bed for three months, so I was traumatised. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't go in anywhere like, like when the um, she had a separate te- toilet and bathroom rooms. And because it was a small enclosed space, like a teleporter, I wouldn't go in there with the door shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's fantastic. Awesome. The parafilm. So that's us done for another week. It was great to listen back to some of our old questions. And genuinely, like two or nearly three years on from this podcast, I've probably got some different answers that I'd have given. Um, listen, I know I say it every week, but we do genuinely appreciate that your time each and every week for listening to us three weirdos talk about something we love. So just thank you for being there. We do appreciate you. Please make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcatcher you're listening to and make sure you've got us on the socials at Cage Fighting Pod. And also if you want to send us an email, we are open for business there too. Cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Stu and Matt send their love and big love from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast.
you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Thank <laughs> you.